following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. I have never watched a single episode, ever. I can say that. Now, this week I watched a few clips, but I have never watched a single episode, but I am intrigued by the show Undercover Boss. Um, is that still going? Does anybody know? Is it, is it continuing to go? I see a few heads shaking. Yes, all right. Um, from what I read, I went to kind of the, the, the background of all things Hollywood that, that tells you if something's really real, you know, um, when it comes to TV shows, movies, anything like that. Um, especially reality TV, though, because that's the questions we always ask. Is this just fake or is this real? And you know what? There's been some study of this show, and it's actually quite authentic. Uh, it really, really is. Matter of fact, on one episode, like I said, I watched a few clips this week. On one episode, a, a CEO, a boss, actually went to one of the stores that he was in charge of undercover and he got fired because he didn't know how to run a forklift correctly. I thought that was interesting. Um, this is the entire premise of the show. It's this. Find workers who are doing things wrong and berate them, okay? Or find workers who are doing things right and reward them. And if that's not working, make the boss look really, really foolish. Okay, that's, that's the general premise of what takes place in this show if you've never seen it before. And it is pretty interesting. Got a question for you, something to ponder here for a little bit. What if Jesus was on the next episode and he came to work, to school, to dinner, or he came home with you as an undercover Lord? <laughs> What would he find? Okay, let's hold that thought here for just a moment. We've been discussing since the beginning of summer spiritual disciplines. And one thing we talk about each and every Sunday, but I believe we have to be reminded of it because we live in a culture that is work-reward related, just like that show shows. And what we cannot get allowed to infiltrate our brains is this idea that by... By doing, by experiencing, by training ourselves in spiritual disciplines that we are earning anything from God, whether it be his favor, his reward, salvation. Spiritual disciplines are nothing about that. Spiritual disciplines are about us looking more like our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Saving is his job. We, we cannot save ourselves. By doing these things. All right, this is what we've looked at so far submission, which is obedience. We've looked at fasting, that's food fasting, okay? We've looked at study, the importance of studying God's word, studying God's creation. We've looked at solitude, meditation, confession. Last week, we looked at simplicity. Boy, that's that's a tough one to, to make things simple in this complicated world we live in. Today, we're going to look at something entirely different. Today, we're going to look at service. Matter of fact, this one's so important that we're probably going to spend a couple weeks on it. 
Now, this is an interesting thing. Up to this point, the spiritual disciplines that we have looked at, you could probably somewhat define them as more of an inward thing. There's something that's between me and God, whether it's privately. I mean, Jesus himself said, when you're fasting, don't let people know it. Study all of these things is is to build ourselves up to to make that connection between us and God stronger. And then we jump into this realm of service and it goes from the vertical relationship we have to God to the horizontal relationship to the relationship of all the people around us. I've got a question for you. We're just going to dive right in the middle of this and try to get practical, okay? How do I, how do you define Serving God. I think that there are four there are four truths about service that can really, really help us when it comes to defining service to God. Here we go. Number one, if you got your questionnaire out there, I'm giving you a hint. Now is your time to be writing. Very good. Number one. Serving God comes completely wrapped in the wardrobe of serving others. Okay, it's not like we can go to a physical place, find God there physically, and physically serve Him. Okay? We serve Him by serving others. We cannot separate those two things. Number two, I'm hoping I'm taking, I'm I'm trying to talk slow here, okay? Because I really get in trouble when I do this too fast. All right, number two, serving God doesn't only take place inside the walls of a church building. Serving God is not simply serving in the faith cove or teaching a Sunday school class. Our teaching children's church. Is that serving? Yes, it is serving, but that is not the sum total of serving. Serving God does not take place only within the walls of the church building. Number three. Serving God doesn't necessarily look like we think. When I think of serving, I think of physical activity. That, that's what pops into my brain very, very quickly. That is not completely, totally what serving looks like. When you, let me put it this way, when you witness someone simply sitting and listening to another person, you are seeing servanthood in action. Understand that. Serving God doesn't necessarily look like we think. Number four. And this one is so incredibly important. Serving God is the most powerful. Let's just put it this way. Serving God by serving people is the most powerful instrument we have been given to learn the Christ-like virtue of humility. It is through simple daily acts of service that the grace of humility will slip in on us. Kind of covert way. The spy way, all right? It just 
happens. All right, so that are four, that's four truths about serving God by serving others. Now let's dig into this, okay? Jesus had some pretty powerful object lessons, and I would hazard to say his most incredibly powerful object lesson came not by him pointing at a fig tree or pointing at a fishing net. It came by him doing something, and you can read about that in John 13. John 13, and we're going to read a number of verses here. So if you'd like to turn there, that'd be great. John 13, beginning with verse 1 through verse 15. Now John is the fourth book in the New Testament. If you're not sure what that's at, that's okay. Look it up in your table of contents. It's there for a reason. And it'll get you in the right spot. This is near the end of Jesus' life. A little bit more about that here in a second. The big thing we call this event taking place is the Lord's Supper. Matter of fact, what we did here communion-wise is solely and completely based on what Jesus was doing with his disciples at this point in time. John 13, beginning with verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come when he would depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, he laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured the water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. He came to Simon Peter, and and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to them, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed only needs to wash his feet. You are, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined again at the table, he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should follow as I did to you, you do. Jesus had to have a lot on his mind right here. I mean, his 33 years of life were pointed towards a cross, and he knew that cross was coming. It was literally hours away. And it's his last time before his death with his disciples. And before he begins teaching them, he sits down at their feet and washes their feet, including the feet of who? 
Judas Iscariot. It was crisis time. And what did Jesus do? He served. You know, um, we're, we're working our way through a book, JB and myself. He'll be preaching next week. Um, and I, I just say this for the sake of those who, who haven't been able to be with us up to this point. Others of you know. Um, the book is by Nathan Foster, The Making of an Ordinary Saint. That's the basis of our whole sermon series this summer. And um, occasionally I share something from him, from the book, that really hits me hard. And this is one that hit me pretty hard. And I felt it was worth sharing with you. And it is, one of the things I like about this book is, is he becomes very vulnerable in his writing in this book. And he, he's pretty transparent <laughs> about his life. If we're transparent about our lives, we know that not everything we say is going to be good, right? (laughs) He says this, A few years ago, in a moment of desperation and vulnerability, I poured a lengthy narrative to a friend about how my life was falling apart. And I'm sure this friend was very understanding, very considerate. The friend, he says this, Nate, time for you to go surf. And I said, you don't understand, things are falling apart. Oh, I do understand, it's time for you to pull your head out of your... Ha ha, okay. And go surf. Take out the trash, mow your neighbor's yard. I bet your wife could use a break from the kids. As my mom once told me, the truth will set you free... Usually right after it ticks you off. You ever been there before? It took months for me to realize the treasure my friend had given me. The haze of selfishness so often clouds my ability to see life's problems as they really are. Service must, may, may be the most effective tool at revealing the parameters of just how encompassing my self-centeredness is. Wow. Jesus' most powerful object lesson had everything to do in his moment of crisis with serving. You know what? In Matthew 20, you don't have to turn there. I'll tell you a little bit what's going on. It's not quite the same time frame as, as John chapter 13. It's still a week, about a week ahead of that time. A couple weeks, actually. Probably closer to a month, actually. But... What you have is two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, sending their mom to Jesus, asking Jesus for the most, two most important seats in his kingdom when Jesus comes in his power. And um, he says to mom, he says, sorry, that's not mine to give. <laughs> um, are your sons able to, to do what I'm about to do, drink the cup I'm about to drink? Now, they didn't even understand what's taking place here because Jesus was going to die, but they didn't quite get that in their brains, and that's what I was referring to, and, and sure enough, these, these, two, these two men would give their lives for Jesus, one very quickly after Jesus' exit of this world and the church began, the other one much later in life. He said, yeah, they will drink the cup I drink, but I'll tell you what, as old Matthew 20 says, I, I cannot give those two places. Those are, that's God's, that's my father's choice. 
guys know. Well, guess what happens with the other disciples? They're ticked off. Because these two had the nerve before them to go ask Jesus for the two most important places. And Jesus sees this all going on. And he says, guys, 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 guys. Listen, listen to me for a second. If you want to be great in my kingdom, serve. He turns it all upside down. Jesus said, the son of man, he's talking about himself, did not come to be served. He came to serve. You know the number one priority for leadership within the church? Number one priority, without a doubt, is having the heart of a servant. Now, I'm going to embarrass JB here for just a moment. All right? And I did not, I did not give him any warning. Otherwise, he'd probably be in children's church right now finding a place to serve. But I don't know how many times I've come to this church building and JB's not in his office. Like, where's he at? He's in the baptistry cleaning it. Or he's up in the attic changing filters in the heat and cooling systems. Or he's on a ladder out in the gym working on something. Or he's in some other attic running wiring so that the faith cove and the children's rooms can have sound. Or he's doing this, or he's doing this, or he's doing this, or he's doing this. And usually he's got some one or two poor, poor souls with him sweating it out up there working. Not for the purpose of any accolades because you don't get any for that type of service. And JB is not alone in doing that. Over the years, countless times I've come to this church building. I'm like, why Why is she here? Why is he here? Just getting some stuff done that needed to be done. I don't see anybody else doing it, so I'm going to do it. That's the heart of a servant. I've seen people mowing lawns. I've seen people visiting shut-ins. I've seen people babysitting kiddos for a husband and wife who needed a break. I've seen people changing tires. And the list goes on and on and on. When Jesus looks for leaders, he pays a lot more attention to what's in people's hands than what's on their resume. He's looking for mops. He's looking for tools. He's looking for calluses on people's hands made strong. Hands that have been made strong by serving others. You know where it begins? And you're going to hear quite a bit about this next week. So I'm just going to touch on it. It begins at home. You know something I've watched enough? Yes, I've watched enough Downton Abbey. I have. I've watched enough Poldark. Some of you have no idea what language I'm speaking right now, okay? And that's just fine. I've even watched enough Victoria. You believe that? Crazy. Crazy what an English accent will do to a woman and make her husband watch that stuff. It's insane. But I've watched enough of these shows to learn a little something about the servant class in different cultures in our world of yesteryear. 
In the shows, it's really, really easy to see which lords and ladies know a little bit about serving themselves. And when a a lord or a lady serves their servants, the end result is how fiercely loyal their servants are to them. And I can tell you one thing right now. If you have not figured out this in marriage yet, and if you are young and not married yet, you better listen closely. Because there will be many times in marriage where you will feel more like a servant than a spouse. Simply the way it works. Serving at home can be complicated. It's not often accompanied by the praise that is received by serving elsewhere. Okay? And you know something else about serving at home? It's the one place you can't fake it. You try, it won't work. All right? I read this this week. It was interesting. The author said this in the book. Something feels counterculture about choosing to abandon my career aspirations in order to love and serve my family. Men use bravery to hunt and fight. I use bravery to do the dishes, wash the poop off the dog, and carpool the kids. And I'm learning not to act like a martyr. Helping out at home is a conscious choice. Parents, let me ask you a question. Where will our children learn how to serve others? First and foremost. At home. Because the best form of teaching has been and always will be by example. You know, um, I'm going to leave that one alone. We'll let JB tackle that some more next week. It was last February, JB, wasn't it? Wasn't it in February when we had that Work is Worship conference here? It was, it, was, it was a teleconference, or not teleconference, that's a phone. Okay, simulcast. So we're, hey, I'm getting there, man. I'm getting there. Just be patient with me, all right? Well, we were, we were here. There was, a, there was a number of people who came to be a part of that, and the whole premise of that was viewing your work not as simply work and earning a paycheck, but seeing it as a place, a mission field, a place to serve God, a place to worship God. And it was this whole talk, it was, it was a complete transformation of how we see life and how we see life each and every day, life at home and life at work. And the most practical way we worship God every day is by serving. By serving. You see, folks, we, we get in our brains sometimes that worship is, 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 is simply singing. Singing is only a part of worship. We've looked at, for a while now, in these spiritual disciplines, how getting alone and being with God, and sometimes we can worship God simply by appreciating his creation. And that is worship. But folks, serving is worship 
also. Turn, we're going to go to the Old Testament this time, all right? Turn to Isaiah. It's one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. They call him a major prophet just because they wrote a bunch, okay? They weren't any more important than the others. Isaiah and Jeremiah were a couple of them. We're going to turn to Isaiah 58. If you're not exactly sure what that's at, it's going to be somewhere right in the middle of your Bible, okay? Look to the contents if you need to. Isaiah 58. We're going to read three verses here. All right. Now, when Isaiah was a prophet to the nation of Israel, it wasn't the best time in the nation of Israel's life, okay? Um, man, they were kind of on a downward spiral, and Isaiah was writing to wake them up. And he was writing in one way of showing them that their worship of God, even their worship of God, was tainted, and it wasn't working. He's talking about fasting. Remember a few weeks ago, guys, we talked about fasting. I mean, food fasting, not eating for a time so we can focus on God. Well, this was a very big deal to the Jews, to the people of Israel. And fasting, even in their... Well, let's just read it. Let's just read it. Isaiah 58, beginning with verse 6. God speaking through his prophet Isaiah. Is this not the fast which I choose... Okay, so, so God is telling them, this is the fast that means something to me. Loosen the bonds of wickedness. Undo the bands of the yoke. Let the oppressed go free. And break every yoke. Is that not the fast I choose? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him. Do not hide yourself from your own people. Then the light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will be speedily, and it will speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then I will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am, if you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing finger and the speaking of wickedness. God says, hey, you can do that fasting from food stuff all you want, but until you get your heart where it needs to be, it it means nothing. God says, the worship I desire most is showing care for people and serving people. That's the worship he desires. Work is worship. You know what Jesus called it? First part of our mission statement, being a light. Let your good deeds shine forth like a light that people will see them and glorify your Father in heaven. Folks, if we get this worship thing and servanthood thing, that serving is worship, if we get this figured out, it will go a long, long way when it comes to serving others. You know why? Because people stink sometimes. And I'm not talking about aroma. I'm just talking that we, we just stink sometimes. We do. Our, our reactions to being served sometimes aren't what we should do. It, just, it stinks. I served. They weren't even grateful. I served, and they hurt me in return. 
Why are you serving? Who are you worshiping? Who am I worshiping with my service? If I get it right in my brain that I'm worshiping God by serving, it doesn't matter how so-and-so reacts. I'm doing it for God. Folks, if we don't get that in our brains and you truly are a servant-hearted person, you will burn out. Because people stink sometimes and they're ungrateful. Your action to serving will not be perfect until we're in heaven doing it together. That's just the nature of us as people. But when we worship God by serving people, we're doing it for the right reasons. You know what the greatest surprise of of serving others is? Greatest surprise. It's on the questionnaire, kiddos. Here you go. Joy. It's joy. When we get all of those things, those priorities right in our heads, even when the service is not well received, joy is still the result. When I let a worn out mom in line in front of me at Walmart, okay? She's worn out. You've seen her before. She's got two carts of groceries, okay? Not just to hold the groceries, but to hold all the kiddos. All right? She's got one here. She's got one here. You look at her face and you're like, wow. I've never been there before. I don't know what you're going through. I do not want to walk a day in your shoes. Okay? But you're doing it magnificently. Would you like to have my place in line here? Okay? And then as she's doing that, doing your best to entertain the 18-month-old right in front of you who's mean-mugging you, all right? And you know what happens when you do this? Do you know what happens? Do you know what the result is? Joy. Now, not necessarily maybe for the mom, okay? Although she will appreciate it. But it will be a result of joy for you. That's just weird. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's just the way God works. And you know what? We come full circle. Remember how we said the spiritual disciplines we looked up to, looked into up to this point were inward and this one's outward? Well, believe it or not, this one's inward too. Serving others has everything to do with what's going on in here. Jesus teaches by example. Jesus came to serve. Following him is simply not possible for the one unwilling to serve others. You understand that? Following Jesus is simply not possible. For the one unwilling to serve others. The cruel thing about it is, is God is more 
than willing to help transform us on the inside and humble us and make us over. The undercover makeover. If we allow God to do his thing. Why don't you stand with us, please? C.S. Lewis, many of you know, he's, he's one of my favorite authors. Near the latter part of his life, he began writing more and more about, about his, the, the day that he would leave this world. And, and what, what that meant for him. I don't, I don't know what that means for all of us, you know. Some of us probably don't think about that at all. There are others who might think about it quite often. Probably depends a lot upon where you're at. In this journey of life. But C.S. Lewis began to think more and more. About leaving this world. And going to the home he was made for. We're not made for this world. We are aliens and strangers. In this world. We were made. For the world. Our Lord and Savior is preparing for us. As we speak. And C.S. Lewis said, he said, when that day comes for me, I want to be tossed upon the scrap heap, completely and thoroughly used up by my God. So that I can be remade by my Lord when he calls us home. That's the life of service.